Well, good morning. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started this morning. Uh, just a reminder, uh, last week we were really full, lots of folks, so if you could move toward the front, if you can, squeeze in, move toward the front, so that we have visitors and others arriving late, they have a place to sit. Um, y'all know what it's like when uh, you come in late and you have to come up to the front, right? So uh, let's, uh, so let's just, just want to make you aware of that. We'll probably announce that uh, at least uh, the next few weeks as uh, the Lord has been bringing in folks into our, into our uh, sanctuary. First of all, good morning. It's good to have you this morning. And uh, as we get started, just a reminder, we're going to probably jump right into um, worship in terms of scripture reading and prayer. The announcements, we're moving more away from that. So uh, if you wouldn't, when you come in, be paying attention to what's going on. And uh, we're going to, to jump right into to the worship time. If you would, uh, we have up here on the screen Psalm 96. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 as we begin this morning. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord of families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Father, as we gather this morning, I pray that our hearts would be attuned to you. Lord, that this morning we would just set aside the distractions of this week. And our hearts and our minds would be focused on you and your glory. I pray this morning as we go into our time of singing and then our time of prayer and our time of hearing for the word, that you would prepare our hearts to receive these things. We thank you for allowing us to be being here this morning and to worship together. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So you came to find to find us when we were faithless, when we were outcasts, when you were gracious, you were a father. to say 
Yes. Sir. 
get ready to sing this next song. I'm going to read from Psalms chapter 90, where it's taken from. This is a prayer of Moses, the man of God. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight, or but as, yes, but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Sing this song.
Heavenly Father, we've just sung some glorious truths. You, you took our sins and our sorrows, and you made them your very own. You bore them to Calvary, and you suffered and died alone. Oh, how marvelous, and oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be, how marvelous, how wonderful. gather this morning to be reminded once again of your grace, of your kindness, your love toward us. We gather this morning as we reflect on that love and that atoning death. We gather to worship and magnify your name because you have redeemed for yourself a people through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Oh, how glorious. Lord, thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ. Thank you for delivering us from the burden of sin and shame and guilt and the burden of your wrath, knowing that, Lord, apart from Christ, we would be headed for eternal judgment. As we remember again what Christ has done for us at Calvary, may our love for him abound more and more this morning. May it lead us to repentance, repentance of our sins this week, our small sins, the little things, Lord, distractions of this world where we have gotten so caught up with the things of this world that we have forgotten you and who you are and what you have saved us to. Oh God, give us a greater joy in you than we find in our jobs and in our families and our pleasures. May we know your grace more and more. May your spirit within us point us again to the Father, this morning as we pray, we pray for those who are struggling. We think of CJ, Lord, we lift him up to you. God, asking that you would continue to work in him and encourage him. Lord, we sang this morning that our lives are in your hands.
hands. He is in your hands. Please be merciful to him and gracious. We pray for his healing, but we pray also, Lord, that in the midst of this suffering, God, that you would teach him more about you and who you are. May he find his treasure and joy in you, Lord. Lord, I pray this morning for our marriages and families at Gateway. There are marriages in this room that are probably struggling, Lord, hurting. God, please, may you bind them up and encourage them and draw. May they draw near to you as they look to you, the one who created marriage. Pray for families in here, Lord, that may be struggling. May it's maybe it's health, maybe it's relational. But for the children and the, and the families that are represented in this room, God, please do a work. Draw them to you. May they see more of Jesus. Lord, this morning I want to pray for the churches in this area. I think of Young Meadows. Thank you for the ministry there and for Pastor Jay Joy. Lord, there's some of the challenges they faced in the last few months over the summer. And I pray, Lord, that there would be unity in that church and much grace. I pray for Jay. Give him wisdom as he shepherds that church and the elders as well. God, be near to them. Encourage them, I pray. And Lord, I pray for today for the area of Cambodia, the mission field that is there. And I do pray that because of individuals I know who are serving on that field. And I pray that Lord, today that the gospel would go forth, churches that have been planted, um, evangelism that's taking place, and that you would turn the hearts of the Cambodians to you. I pray for the missionary families in that field far away from home who are doing this because they love you and they want the gospel heard to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I pray, Lord, that the missionaries in that land would see great fruit in their ministry, that many would come to know you. This morning, Lord, as we turn our hearts to you and your word in First Peter, pray for Grady as he brings the word, that as he preaches your word, that its truth would land on good soil this morning. That, Lord, you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And that, Lord, we would be attentive to your word, that you would keep us from drifting and thinking of other things, but we would be engaged and we would hear your word and that your spirit would take the word and apply it to our lives so that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of you and that we would leave here a people more in love with our Savior and rejoicing in who you are. So Lord, anoint him with your spirit and I pray that as he comes, that you would be glorified in what is proclaimed ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. For kids' worship, you're with Mr. Rick again. So first to fourth grade, if you'll head with Mr. Rick to Miss Ken to kids' worship. <laughs> Guys, can y'all cut those lights down a little bit for me while you're up there? Thanks. While the kids are headed to kids' worship, you'll find 1 Peter chapter 1 in your copy of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 1 as we continue our journey to this amazing letter that God has given to us. Now, while you're finding 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever noticed how hard it can be to love other Christians? Maybe that's not ever been a problem for you, but for many, have you ever noticed it can be really hard to love some other Christians? Perhaps as a person in the church who just annoys you, if you're honest. Perhaps it's the person in the church who has hurt you or wounded you. 
Maybe it's a person in the church who has very different personality or interest in you and just not quite sure how to connect. Have you ever found it hard to love another Christian? This past week, I met with a brother in Christ and just listened to him and watched him as tears filled his eyes. He talked about the wounds he's inflicted by the hands of other people who profess the name of Christ. And friends, this story is not alone, and many of you have experienced similar things. As I was reading and studying this week, one author captured the reality that we experience, the tragic reality, and he said this. So one of the painful facts of life is that the people of God do not always get along with each other. You would think that those who walk in hope and holiness would be able to walk in harmony. But this is not always true. Catch that again. He said, you would think that those who walk in hope and holiness would be able to walk in harmony. But this is not always true. From God's divine point of view, there is only one body. But what we see with human eyes is a church divided and sometimes at war. There is today a desperate need for spiritual unity. That author is so right. God's desire for the church is to be united. God's desire is for Christians to live in harmony to one another. Those of us who profess to have hope in Christ, those of us who profess to believe in God and His holiness, His calling on holiness in our life, His plan is for us to also walk in harmony. So what is our responsibility to see that happen? And that's exactly where Peter goes next as we come to verses 22 and 23 in chapter 1. Today we come to the fourth command of Peter's letter. And this fourth command we come to today in verses 22 and 23 changes the focus a bit. Up until this point, the first three commands of the letter were very big picture commands for us of how we focus our minds on God and how we live in fear of God, but also how to pursue holiness. But now he gets more specific of what holiness looks like in our life. And of all the places he could start, all the possible topics he could address on what holiness looks like in your life and in mine, he starts with this topic of how you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ are to treat one another. Now friends, we need to let that sink in because there's so many topics that address the issue of holiness. And the place that Peter begins, of all the places he begins, is how Christians in the church relate to one another. Friends, it is that important. But this command is so important, unlike many commands where Peter will just tell us to do something, this one he gives us motivations and reason for doing so. He gives us a reason to obey the command, then he gives us the command, then he gives us a second reason to obey the command. He literally bookmarks, he sandwiches this command on both sides with the reasons that we are to obey it. Yes, it is that important. So as we read our text today, verses 22 and 23, be looking for what is the command of how you and I as brothers and sisters in Christ are to relate but also be looking for what are the reasons that we are to live this way. Again, he tells it first the reason, then the command, then a second reason. So be looking for that as we read. Let's look at verses 22 and 23. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the unchanging Word of God. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 22. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, and we also have the words on the screen for you. Starting in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you have given us the living and abiding word of God. Lord, I pray that we would treasure that and we'd understand what you have given to us. And this morning as we look at your living and abiding word, I pray you would be that to us. It'd be living and would bring life to us. It'd be abiding and it would transform and change us. We ask your Holy Spirit to come and to fill us, your children, afresh this morning, to give us eyes to see the truth you would have for us here, the conviction where we need conviction, the encouragement where we need encouragement. Do what you can only do 
in applying your word to each one of our situations this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So I want to ask several questions of this text this morning to help us understand where Peter goes with his very first command of practical holiness. So let's start with the basics. What is the command he gives to us? This thing in the middle of this text, what is the command? Look back in verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. Now here's the command. Love one another. Pretty simple, right? The command, just love one another. But that raises a big question for us. What does it mean to love another person? Now, if you've been with us at Gateway anytime, we've talked about this at Advent before. We've talked about this in our Rooted study. But I want to remind us, what do we mean by the word love here? For those of you who are new, I want you to have a framework for what we're talking about. For all of us, I want us to have this reminder. Because in our culture, love is treated as a feeling, right? You fall in love, you fall out of love. It's treated as an emotion. But that's not how Scripture presents love. Love in Scripture is a choice you make to give of yourself for the good of another, now, that's not new if you've been around here for a while, but I want us to make sure we start with that foundation. To love is a choice you make to give of yourself for the good of another person. It's a choice. It's a decision that you make, an act of your will. It's not just a feeling you have. It's an act of your will. And it's an act of your will particularly to give of yourself to do something good for another. You're serving another person. You're building up another person. You're choosing to do what is best for them. And that's the understanding of love we see in Scripture. That's the understanding of love we see right here. So in our verse today, go back to verse 22, Peter actually uses two different words for love. Now, our English translations kind of lose this because English is very non-specific language. We have one word for love, right? I love my wife. I love my kids. I love chocolate. I love going to football games, right? You know, we, we kind of have this one word that gets used in, in lots of different ways. In the Greek language, in which, first, in which Peter writes here, there's lots of different words for love, and they capture different nuances of that. And he actually uses two different words for love side by side here. So verse 22, he first says the sincere brotherly love. Well, this is the word Philadelphia, where we get Philadelphia from. This is a word that means brotherly love, friendship love, affection, a caring attitude. So he's saying that in the church, they were to have a friendship with one another. Church is not just about us coming on Sunday morning, sitting here for an hour and going about our way. So church community is about Philadelphia love, brotherly love, affection for one another, care for one another, friendship with one another. But then he follows that up with the very next phrase, now the command to love one another. He switches words for love here. This is now the word agape love. This is the word that describes God's love for us. This is the covenantal love. This is a sacrificial love, a self-giving love a choice to love others. So we have Philadelphia love, we have agape love, and you put those together and you see that God's plan for the church is for us to have a, an attitude where we're choosing to give of ourselves for the good of one another, where we're in friendship with one another and sacrificing for the good of one another. Now in this command, the group that we're to focus on is clear here. He has a particular others that we're to be focused on. Verse 22, love one another. We see one another in Scripture. He's talking about fellow believers. He's talking about fellow believers in the church. He's saying, focus your efforts on loving other Christians in the church. Now, a quick clarification, that does not mean we get to be rude to non-believers, okay? This is not a write-off that we get to go do whatever we want to non-Christians. He's saying, though, prioritize. Make sure in your life you are doing good to fellow Christians. I think of what Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, but notice this, and especially to those who are the household of faith. That we have a command from God to love everyone, but we're to have a special priority of loving people in the church. Yes, we want to do good 
to people at our work. Yes, we want to do good to people in our sports teams or in our schools or in our classes or in our neighborhoods. But I think often in our U.S. culture, we can focus on doing good there and neglect to be in deep relationships with one another in the church. And so Peter challenges us at the outset that the first step of practical holiness is to pursue doing good to other believers in the church. But he doesn't just tell us, go do that. He now shows us the attitude in which we are to do good to one another. Look back at verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Three adjectives here for sincere love, earnest love, and from a pure heart. Now, as if the bar's not been raised high enough that we're to do good to other people, he just takes it up a whole nother notch here for us. It says this love that we're to have, this choice to do good to other believers, needs to be sincere. It's to be not hypocritical, not feigned, not pretend. We're to do this without pretense. So we're not saying, I'm going to do good to you, and on the inside, I'm mad that you've taken up my time. That's what he means by sincere, that we're actually doing this out of a heart that wants to pursue the good of other people. It's to be a sincere love. He says we're to do it earnestly. That means fervently with all of our energy. This word earnest in the Greek language was an athletic term. It was a word to describe an athlete working hard. So like this weekend on Friday night, I got to take my little two-year-old to his very first biscuits game. He'd never been to a sporting event. And then last night, I got to take my older boys to the Auburn game. And what I saw both Friday and Saturday night at these sporting events is these athletes were very fervent in what they were doing. When the guy hit the ball at the biscuits game, he didn't just slowly walk around to hope to get to first base. He was running with all his might. The guys trying to catch the ball in the outfield, they were just kind of like, yeah, I can't make that. When they're running with, with earnestness, with a fervency about what they're doing to try to win. That's the image that Peter is pulling for us here. He's saying, as you see opportunity, particularly for believers in the church to do good, do it fervently. With the enthusiasm of that guy on the biscuits team running to first base, with the enthusiasm of the guy trying to catch the ball in the outfield, with that enthusiasm and energy and effort, seek to do good. Seek to love other people in the church. But if that bar wasn't already high enough for us, he has one more here for us at the end of verse 22. Do this earnestly from a pure heart. As we try to sincerely love people, as we try to earnestly and fervently love people, he says, do it from a pure heart. Do it with the right motives. In other words, love other people expecting nothing in return. You don't love other people hoping to look good, hoping to get noticed, hoping that they will do good to us, hoping that we'll be accepted or approved or loved. We love them because God has told us to love them. We're to have an unconditional love for them. Friends, that is an astronomical command for us, right? Seek intentionally to do good to other believers and to do so here with sincerity, to do so here with earnestness and fervency, to do so here with the right motives. And Peter understands that as an astronomical tough command. So he bookmarks it, he sandwiches it with the reasons why we are to follow. So that's the first question. What is the command? Love one another, but do it with the right attitude. Seek the good of other believers and to do it with that attitude. Second question then, why are we to seek to follow this? That is a tough command that doesn't come naturally. So why are we to seek to do this? And he gives us two motivations here, and they're very closely related. In fact, they're like two sides of the same coin. So let's start actually with the second one in verse 23, the the backside of the coin, if you will, here. Look at verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So he's saying love one another since because you have been born again. So the first motivation for us to love this way is because we're to remember how God has loved us. We're to remember how God has loved us. We're to remember what God has done for us here. He says we have been born again. 
Now, if you were with us early in the study of 1 Peter, I know we're still in chapter 1, but the beginning of it was a while ago already. When we looked at verse number 3 of this text, we already saw this idea that God has caused us to be born again. This exact same word we're looking at here in verse 23 this morning, that, he, that we have been born again. This is a, in the Greek language is passive. We did not cause ourselves to be born again. God did it for us. God initiated. God pursued. God changed our heart. Again, this is a picture of the love he wants us to do where we initiate, where we pursue. We remember how he has pursued us and he has caused us to be born again. But as we saw when we looked at verse 3, when we are born again, it's not just a change in our status. It's a change in our whole being. It's a radical change of our life. When God pursues us, he changes us. He changes our desires. He changes our thoughts. He changes our behavior. He changes how we view one another. That's where I love how 2 Corinthians chapter 5 paints the picture for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's why we warn and say often, if there's no transformation in our lives, there's probably no saving faith because when we put our faith and trust in Christ, he not just changes our status, he changes who we are. He transforms us. And so the first motivation, the first side of this coin of why we're to love is we're to remember how God has loved us, how he has changed us. But the second motivation may seem a little bit strange at first, but it's the other side of the coin. It's in verse 22. He says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. What is this motivation? This is a motivation to remember what we believe, to remember what we believe, to remember the gospel here. Now, what what does he mean here? Friends, when I looked at verse 22 early in the week, when I see this phrase, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, my first thought is this has to be about sanctification, right? Purification, obedience, truth. My mind jumped, this is about sanctification. That's not what this phrase is about. This has absolutely nothing to do with sanctification. And the more I study this week, the more I realize what Peter's doing here, and it's really a beautiful picture. Obedience to the truth is a way Peter's saying is reminding us how we have believed in the gospel. Obedience to the truth is belief in the gospel. Now, where am I getting that from? Well, first of all, friends, in the New Testament, truth is often equated with the gospel. For example, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Look at what Paul says here. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, truth, gospel, are held side by side. Therefore, when often when the New Testament talks about truth, it's talking about the gospel message, the good news of what Christ has done for us. Therefore, obedience to the truth is belief in the gospel, submitting ourselves to the gospel message. Romans chapter 1, verse 5, when Paul talks about his calling, he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, the obedience of faith, the belief in the gospel. Likewise, Romans chapter 10, verses 15 and 16, and later on in Romans 10, I think we have that for you, Romans 10, 15. Do we have that one? There we go. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, verse 16, he carries on. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? Belief and obedience are here linked again. So go back to verse 22 this morning. We're obeying the gospel when we believe the gospel. So when Peter says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, he's reminding you, you say you're a Christian, then you have submitted yourself to the gospel. And when you did that, God has purified you. You can't purify yourself. I can't purify myself, but God does that work. And we see that here in this text. What you have here is a present tense phrase. It is ongoing that day by day, 
I believe the gospel. Day by day, you believe the gospel. Day by day, the gospel is purifying me and changing me. Day by day, the gospel is purifying you and changing you. This is a reminder, friends, that we don't believe the gospel and then move on with our Christian life. The gospel is not just an entry point into God's kingdom. The gospel is the very thing that sustains us each and every day of our Christian life. Now, we're going to go a lot deeper in that next week, so hold on to that thought. But for here today, Peter's giving us two motivations, two sides of the same coin. He's saying, you are to love one another because God has loved you, and you now have believed this gospel that is changing you. And these are together. God has made you born again, and now he's changing you because you are born again into making you one who loves like him. And so what Peter's saying is the reason that you are to love is because God has loved you and is changing you to love like him. That the reason that we are to love, the motivation to love, is because we have received the love of God, and God is now changing us through the gospel to love others the way he has loved us. Now we get a little picture of this here in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through through 3, reminded that we were dead in the trespasses and sins, verse 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, Find the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So friends, all of us, myself, yourself, at one point we were all lost. We were all separated from God and we lived for ourselves. That included our selfishness. We did not love others the way God called us to love because we were lost to our passions and our selfishness. But thankfully that's not the end of the story. God changed us. Verses 4 and 5 of Ephesians, he carries on in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love for which he loved us, now verse 5, even we were dead in the trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So this is what Peter's doing. He's pointing us back to the love in which God has loved us, that saved us, that made us born again. So go back to our text today to verse 23. And there's an image that he gives us here to help us understand how the love of God should be changing us. Notice he says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Now what in the world is this? Why in the middle of this motivation to love is he talking about seed? As I was thinking on it this week, an image came to my mind, and if you saw me walking with a pine cone, there's a reason for it. So you have lots of these around Montgomery, right? You have these in your yard too? These are pine cones, right? And these are always dropping in my yard. Now, these are fun things. Yes, they're fun for Nerf gun targets. Yes, they're fun for my boys to pretend to have grenades, right? But they're more important than that. There's a reason that there are pine cones there. Because in a pine cone, when it falls and the seeds come out, everything needed for a new pine tree is in that seed, right? Everything in that seed that you need for a new life is right there. And apparently a few years ago, we've got an image up on the screen for you, Kate, if you want to put it up there. Apparently a few years ago, a little pine cone fell. It opened up, and there on the left side, you see that little pine tree that starts to form, right? It wasn't much, but it was a pine tree. It wasn't a maple tree. It wasn't a peach tree. It was a little pine tree, right? And with time, as my kids nurtured it and it grew, they put it right by their sandbox. Notice what's happening now. In the shadow of the big pine tree, we now have a little pine tree, a growing pine tree that's almost as tall as some of my kids now. It's getting bigger and bigger over the last several years. Why? Because in the seed of the pine cone, in that seed was everything needed to create the life of a new pine tree that reflected the image of that from which it came. And that's the image here for us that Peter's pulling from. As he's talking about seed, it's not just some random thing here for us. He is reminding us that the God who loved us has made us born again, has made us new, and he's given us everything we need to reflect his image, to be holy like he is holy, to love like he has 
loved. Everything we need has been given to us. And where do we find what we need to love like God loves? Look back at verse 23 and now. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. And what's the imperishable seed? Through the living and the abiding word of God. The word of God. When you see the word of God, it's sometimes referring to the spoken word of God. But ultimately, it's pointing us back to the written word of God, where we have the record of all God wants us to know. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 reminds us of this. That all of Scripture, everything we have, Genesis to Revelation, is breathed out by God. It's the voice of God, and therefore it's profitable for us, for teaching us, for a proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Friends, if we want to love like God loves, if we want to be the little pine tree that reflects the image of the big pine tree, everything we need to do that is in the Word of God. And when God has spoken to us, He corrects us when we fail to love like He loves. He trains us in righteousness to love like He loves. The seed of the Word of God is what produces in us Christ's likeness. So go back a few verses to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 that we saw several weeks ago. Remember the command, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now the rest of this book, as I said, Peter gets more specific on what that means. If you want to take that principle here, God is saying, I am a God who has loved you. Now you therefore love like I have loved. I initiated pursuing love of you. Now you initiate pursuing love of other people. I have loved you and I didn't wait for you to be lovely to do it. Now you can go love people who are different than you as well. The God who loves us has changed us through his word, through the gospel, so that we can now love like he loves. And he gives us his word to do that. Theologian Wayne Grudem says it this way, and I love this. He says, one of the first marks of a genuine growth in holiness is earnest love for fellow Christians. And one of the first evidences, one of the first fruit, one of the first marks that we really have been converted, that we really have belonged to Christ now, is that he puts within us an earnest love for other Christians. So what is the command? Love other believers and to do so with the right attitude. What's the motivation to do so? Two sides of the coin. God has loved us, and the gospel message now changes us so that we can love others. That leads to one last question for us. How can we grow in loving others? How can we grow and be that little pine tree that looks more like the big pine tree? How can we be one who loves like God loves? Friends, look back at the standard again. This standard is astronomical. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love another earnestly from a pure heart. Friends, I have fallen short in that this week, and most likely you have too. There have been people that God has put in our life that we were to love earnestly, that we were to love with this fervency, that we are to love sincerely, we are to love from a pure heart, and we have all missed opportunities to do that. Our individualism that comes from our culture runs deep. Our old nature, our selfish ways do not let go easily. And hence, in this room are 200 plus of us who are called to walk in hope and holiness, and we perhaps have all struggled to live in harmony as well this week. The reality is every single one of us has caused pain in someone's life along our journey by not loving the way God loves. And all of us in this room have been hurt by other people who have not loved the way that God loves. So how do we grow in this type of love? How do we be a church which exemplifies this type of love? You notice his flow of thought here. Verse 22, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Now go to verse 23 and skip to the last phrase, through the living and abiding word of God. Love one another earnestly through the living and abiding word of God. Friends, the only way you and I are going to love the way God loves is if we anchor ourselves in the truth of 
God's word. The more we read scripture, the more we study scripture, the more we memorize scripture, the more we meditate on, the more we talk about it with our families, the more we talk about it with our friends, the more we fill our minds with scripture, the more we will find ourselves able to love the way God loves. Why? Friends, because the more we read scripture, the more we see the holiness of God and are reminded of his calling on us to be holy. The more we read scripture, the more we see the love of God and are reminded of his call on us to love the way he loves. The more we read scripture, the more we see God's plan for the church and the unity he creates, and the more we're reminded of the calling on us not to break the unity that he gives. The more we read scripture, the more we see the example of Christ's humility who humbled himself and came to this earth and our calling to emulate his humility. The more we read scripture, friends, the more we see examples of what happens when we love. Going back to things like Acts and seeing how the early believers had everything in common and the unity that they had as they loved one another. But friends, the more we read scripture, the more we see what happens when we fail to love in this way, when we fail to reflect God's love. And friends, one of the tragic examples in scripture of failure to love this way is Peter himself. Peter himself personally knows how easy it is to be people who believe in the hope of God and yet not walk in harmony. Because friends, it happened to him. Now, when he was a young, immature disciple, but as a mature, trusted leader in the church, Peter himself, the one who writes all this about hope and holiness, failed to walk in harmony and it wrecked the early church. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Look at what happened in Peter's own life. But when Cephas, that's another name for Peter, came to Antioch, this is Paul writing, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now, just quick pause here on this. Matthew 18 lays out for us the normal way we deal with sin in other believers' life when we go to them privately. Why did Paul do it this way? Because Peter, because Peter in such a public role in the church, his sin was affecting the whole church and it had to be dealt with publicly. So Paul comes in and he corrects Peter very publicly on this. Verse 12, what did Peter do that was wrong on this? For before certain men came from James, he, Peter, was eating with the Gentiles. So remember in the early church, you had Jewish background believers and Gentile background believers. And they come from very different places and they didn't naturally love each other. You took the most polar opposite groups, the groups that in the culture were in conflict with another, and God puts them together in the church and creates a unity between them that says, don't break the unity that I have given to you. And so at least initially, Peter, as one of the church leaders, was doing this. He was eating with the Gentiles. He, a Jewish background Christian, was fellowshipping at the table in the homes of Gentile background Christians. But notice this. But when they came, these are Jewish background people coming in to him. When he came, he, Peter, drew back. And he separated himself. That Peter was fellowshipping with the group in the church. And when other people came in, it's like, no, 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 no. Peter withdraws from a part of the church. It knows this. Why? He feared the circumcision party. He feared the Jewish background people. He was, had what a lot of us deal with, the fear of man. He was more worried about what other people thought than what God thought. And so Peter chose not to follow God, not to give of himself for the good of others. He chose in fear of mankind to withdraw from loving people who were different from him. And it didn't affect him, it affected the whole church. Verse 13 next, that's what happens. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, Mr. Encourager himself, who was nice to apparently ever, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So what happens? Paul now has to come in because the whole church is being divided because people are no longer loving the way God loves. They're no longer being that little pine tree that loves the way God loves. They're now back into the worldly ways of segmenting, only associating with people with the same interests, same background as they are. So verse 14, Paul comes in and corrects it. I think we have it there. But when I saw, when I, Paul, saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Now again, do you see what Peter's done here a minute ago? He's reminded us of the truth of the gospel that we say we believe and says that's our motivation to love. That's what Paul's holding up here as a standard. 
Their lack of love for people different from them in the church is now inconsistent with the truth of the gospel. So he says to Cephas, he says to Peter before all of them, if you though like a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? He's exposing their hypocrisy. But go down to verse 16 and notice what ultimately Paul uses to correct Peter and those who've led astray. He says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ. What's Paul do? He starts pointing Peter back to the gospel. He starts pointing those who are following Peter back to the gospel. They're not justified by works of the law, doing all these things that the Jewish people were coming and saying had to be done. He says, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So what does Paul do to correct Peter? He reminds him of the gospel, the very thing that Peter has been writing about here. So friends, as a believer, Peter repents at this point, and we are very grateful for that. And I can't help but think, go back to our verse 8, verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why did Peter start here? I mentioned earlier because it's important. But I can't help but think, and there's a little bit of speculation here, so bear with me. I can't help but think Peter started here because he saw his own sin. He saw how easily he who can talk about hope and holiness had been led astray and how he had led other people astray and brought division to the church and caused pain to other believers because he had failed to love like God loves. So from his own journey and his own place of brokenness, he starts with the truth his own heart needed to hear and our hearts need to hear because all of us like him can say, yes, I believe in the hope of the gospel. Yes, I want to walk in holiness with God. And then we can turn a blind eye to people who are brothers and sisters in Christ who we are called to love. And so I think Peter starts there because of his own journey and because he knows our heart is just like his heart and so quick to create division in the church instead of loving people the way God loves. So let's bring all that together. What do we learn from verses 22 and 23? One simple truth I want us to take away this morning is this. God's word creates in us life and love for one another. It's God's word that creates us. God's will is for the church to be unified. God's will is for believers to love one another with a type of love. He loves God's will is for us to be like this little pine cone, the seed of his word that causes a little pine tree to grow us, that it reflects the image of the big pine tree, him, that it loves the way that he loves. And how are we going to love that way? Only through the word of God changing us. As we read it, as we talk about it, as we pray over it, as we memorize, as we meditate on it, as we have conversations about it around the dinner table, with one another and all the different things as we fill our minds with God's word. It gives us not only spiritual life, but it gives us a love for one another because it transforms us to be more like Christ. It's God's word that creates in us life and love for one another. So that leads me to one question for each of us this morning, myself included. Is God's word doing that in our life this week? Is God's word breathing life into our life? It is a living and abiding word. It's a word that brings life because it's living. It's a word that's abiding. It stays with us and it changes us. Is God's word creating in me and creating in you love for other people? Friends, remember Wayne Grudem said one of the first marks of a genuine growth in holiness is love for fellow Christians. So friends, is that happening in your life? Is that happening in my life? Are we finding the desire to love other people? because we see the love of God in Scripture, because we understand how he has loved us and we desire to love others in the same way Peter did. And friends, the same way God did. And friends, the reality is for a lot of us, we're like Peter, aren't we? We can talk the good talk of the theology and the hope that we have in Christ and then we can very quickly hurt other people with our love or with our withholding of our love from them, with our words and not being kind to them. And so the question for us is, are we 
loving others the way God loved us? And are we doing so because God's word has created that in us? As our praise team comes, I want to ask you just where you're seated to, seated to take a minute and reflect on a few things and pray about a few things. I want to give you a few things to talk to the Lord about. So just if you'll bow your heads and close your eyes, would you take just a minute as the praise team comes in, would you ask God, first of all, to increase your understanding of the gospel? I mean, that's where Peter starts here with us. This whole command is rooted in understanding the gospel. So would you take just a minute and pray and ask God, God, would you increase my understanding of how the gospel changed me? Would you increase my understanding of what you've done for me and how that changes my life? Start there and just pray and ask God to do that in your life. you take a minute and ask God to grow in you a desire for his word or his living and abiding word that he would increase in your heart a hunger to read, to study, to talk about his word. take a minute now and ask God to increase your desire to love other people the way he loved you. And with that, just think about a little pine tree growing in the shadow of the big pine tree. Would you ask God to, in, to increase your care, to change your character to look more and more like his own character, his own nature? Friends, the reality is we all struggle at times to love others with the way that God has called us to love them. So you ask the Lord, Lord, search me. Are there people I'm not loving the way you desire me to love them? If he shows you someone, confess that as a sin to him and ask him for help to change. Would you pray for just a minute for the unity of our church, that God would grow us as a people who love each other this way, people who understand how God has loved us and to strengthen our love for one another. God, we thank you for your living and abiding word. Your word that has created in us spiritual life. Lord, because at some point for each of us who know you, someone brought your word to us and opened it to us and explained it to us. 
and we saw the beauty of who you are and we believe. Thank you that for the seeds that got planted, for the people who you sent to us to share the hope of Christ with us, for the people who gave us Bibles, who point us to you, who answered our questions. Thank you for using your word and using your people to give us life. Lord, we also thank you that your word is what keeps shaping us. That we didn't just need your word to come to faith in you. We need your word for sustaining every single day. We need the gospel every single day. So we pray particularly as we look at these verses today, God, that you would use your word to grow in us our love for others. That as we read your word, we would better understand your love for us. That we would not lose sight of who we are in Christ and what it means to be loved and held by God. And that would give us the strength, the motivation, the joy to be able to sacrificially love others, to seek to do good for others in the church and wherever we go. But we all need to grow in this. So I pray for myself and these precious brothers and sisters that this week, Lord, you would do the things we've asked you to do. That this week, God, you would grow our understanding of the gospel, that we would all week long be reminded of the wonders of being pursued by you, the holy God. God, that you would grow our desire for your word, that, Lord, that we would find inexplainably to ourselves, not because of anything we have done, we find our hearts longing to read and talk about and think about your word. And I pray from the overflow of that this week, Lord, you would open our eyes to see the people you are calling us to love. And there's people that we have been called to go after that we've been hesitant to do so. I pray this week you show each one of us practically what that looks like to pursue doing good to them. Lord, we thank you for this sweet church family and the love we have for one another. Lord, we don't want to take that for granted. So we pray that you would preserve the unity we have, but we pray you grow the unity we have, that you grow us deeper in relationships with one another to where we can seek to do good for one another. And Lord, we confess this is something we can't achieve on our own, but we have no way in our own strength to have a sincere love that we can manufacture. We have no way in our own strength Lord, to have a love that comes from a pure heart or have a fervent, earnest love. Lord, we cannot manufacture this this week. So even as we look at this command, Lord, we just cry out, help. Send your Holy Spirit to fill us so that your word comes alive to us so we find the direction and the conviction we need to do what you've called us to do. Lord, we ask it for the good of your church, the good of one another, and ultimately, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song, How Death Was Arrested and Our Life Began? all because of Christ. Sure.
pray for us. If you need someone to pray with you after the service about what all this means to be loved by God or for help loving other people, several of our elders will be available for you. So Jeff, you'll come down here and Seth, maybe up here. And Greg, wherever you are, if you want to come down to the middle here, or William, I see you if you guys want to be available. Just come talk to one of these guys. We're here to walk this journey with you. And so if we can help you guys in any way, these are brothers who would love to walk this journey with you. And so if we can pray with you about any of these things, please come talk to one of us. We'd love to pray with you. Let me pray for us. Father, 
what glorious truth we have just proclaimed, that we are free because of Christ. And I pray this week we would live as a free people, finding joy in you, free from the slavery of sin and free to love others because you have loved us. And we ask it for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and have a great Sunday.